Renee and Lang Bliss perform as Bliss Bliss, and they've joined the antidote for a talk. Thanks for coming. Well, Man, thanks this for is having awesome. Us. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. We're excited to be here. I've got to say, I love your name, but like, how did you ever dream that up? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually want to call it Bliss Bliss. Actually, yeah. we wanted to call it just Bliss, and not even really necessarily because, well, obviously the name, but but there was already a band in Europe called Bliss. They were kind of an R&B uh, jazz funk band that had been around for a long time. Right. And so the name was copyrighted, and we couldn't use it. And when we signed our record deal to REX way back in the day, they were like, why don't you call it Bliss Bliss? I think our feelings were like, well, there's kind of like, there's like talk, talk, and Duran Duran. And yeah. it just started feeling <laughs> like, ah, but... I think there was maybe enough distance from, you know, the, the 80s new wave scene that yeah. know, it was okay. Maybe maybe people wouldn't go, oh, that's what they're doing, you know. Right. So. <laughs> that's perfect. Seriously, it's a cool name. Well, thank you. I have no claim on it other than <laughs> I married into it, so yeah. that's why. And I, <laughs> and I was born into it, so I uh, kind of like, gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> then let's put music on the back burner and do something really important. Why don't you tell us about how you became a couple? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we, there's different, uh, well, I wouldn't say there's different versions of it, you know, <laughs> different perspectives on it. But just real quickly, we have a mutual friend. And uh, I heard about Lang way before I ever met him. And uh, so anyway, long story short, I was on the road at the time singing backgrounds for Amy Grant on her Unguarded tour. And... Uh, my friend, I had been in a band with him. He had just moved into Nashville and said, love to catch up, get some lunch, you know, anytime you're going to be in town. So Amy ended up having to cancel a string of shows due to some vocal issues. I called him and said, hey, I'm probably be in town for about a month. Let's grab some lunch. And he said, let's do that. He goes, we might have to pick up some sandwiches and take it back to uh, my place because my roommate is coming into town today from California. So anyway, the the guy driving up with the truck with the boxes and all that was Lang. And that's I literally met him the day he moved into town. Yep. That's wild. Totally how it happened. Yep. Yeah, that's it. The flip side of that story <laughs> is this. I was living in California and that mutual friend had asked me, "Hey dude, you know, you ought to move to Nashville. You could be playing drums out here and you know, yada, yada, yada. And he had me audition for this band and the lead singer changed his mind. So it didn't happen. Then he was like, you just need to move here. And I was praying about it a lot. So he said, oh yeah, by the way, one of my friends sings background for this, this singer named Amy Grant. I'm going, who's Amy Grant? Never heard of her. <laughs> I just like, yeah, I really didn't listen to that much Christian music at the time. And she, he said, yeah, man, you ought to check it out. Uh, by the way, they're going to be playing a show out there. Well, I go to the record store, you know, I'm looking around and all of a sudden I'm seeing like all these flats, you know, they used to hang them from the ceiling in the record stores. These flats of this person named Amy Grant wearing this like leopard jacket. I think that's the girl that he knows. So I thought, I'll go ahead and buy it. And if it's just horrible, I'll, you know, and sucks, I'll just, you know, at least I'll have given money into the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I went home and I put it on and I went, oh my gosh, 
this is actually good. I think I like this. <laughs> he said, yeah, well, um, maybe, you know, I could get you tickets in to see the show. So I go out there and I thought, well, the person who was on the bill was Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind & Fire. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going because the Chinese wall record was out, had uh, Easy Lover on it, the big mm -hmm. single with Phil Collins. And I thought, oh, I'm going to this yeah. show. And I'm sure she'll be okay, too, opening up. So I get to the show, and she's the headliner, and Philip Bailey is opening up. I'm like, oh, what is going on here? <laughs> Who's this chick, you know? And so my friend said, yeah, she's one of the background vocalists. She's the short one of the three of them. So I just go to see her, and I you know, think, okay, that, that must be the girl that he's talking about. Well, so the day that I drive in with all my boxes and drum kit in the back of the truck and everything, I see her, and she starts picking up boxes. I'm like, you can't pick up boxes. You're like a star or something, you know? <laughs> okay. it, was just, it was just like my head was kind of like blowing up. I'd never really met anybody personally, you know, who I'd just seen on a stage in front of 17,000 people, you know? And I literally did. I thought, she can't pick up the boxes. She's not supposed to do this. Yeah, now it's like <laughs> bosses me around, and I pick up all the boxes all the time. Make me lunch, woman. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, we have a flat. Get out there and change it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. You know, I often speak to artists about their longevity, but really there aren't that many that I've spoken to that have been in the music business as long as you two. You know, just so that people are aware about Amy Grant in that era. We're talking early 80s. Right. Yeah. Well, what? you started with her when? In 84? Yeah, I... I um. Even when I was a kid growing up, I loved music. You know, I was in high school. I tried to be in every musical thing I could get involved in. I was in choir, all that kind of stuff. During high school and then after high school, when I was in college, I was in bands and, you know, different musical groups and all that kind of stuff. And then before I got the Amy gig, I was living out in Colorado and I was in a band out there and just kind of we were kind of known locally. And I met an artist by the name of David Meese at Red Rocks Amphitheater out in Colorado. And oh, yeah. I auditioned for him backstage. A friend of mine got me. She's the one that really made this happen. But she was part of the promotion team. She said, hey, David's looking for background singers. Uh, I got you backstage. You know, maybe you can talk to him about getting in on that. So I just went backstage Somebody very nice let me use their acoustic guitar. I played a tune for him, and he's like, that sounded great because I'd love for you to talk to my management team. So I think it was about two months later. Amy was actually at Caribou Ranch recording her very first Christmas record. I didn't know her, or that had really nothing to do with what I was doing other than the connection point was that the management team happened to manage David Meese at the time. So I auditioned for them. They were great. They said, the sound is great. You know, we, thanks for auditioning. We've, we've got tons of singers in Nashville. Uh, you know, more than likely we'll just go with somebody in Nashville. And I thought, well, this is great. At least I got a chance to, you know, kind of get my name in a hat. And about, I would say within three months, I had left Colorado, went to Nashville, rehearsed with David Meese, and the band for that tour was Whiteheart. Oh, Right. Yeah, it was Whiteheart, so it was a double bill, David Meese, Whiteheart. On that tour, I met a, a background singer by the name of Donna McElroy, and she was one of the singers for Amy. So that is how that whole 
that whole thing with Amy happened through kind of going through the David Meese door. Well, then, Renee, let's single you out with this, because you went full bore into the CCM scene Mm -hmm. with a couple of solo albums when you were still Rennie Garcia before you met Mr. Bliss. You even charted with the song A Different World. Right. The music you created back then, like, was that what you were wanting to make, or was this what, you know, the record industry wanted you to do? Well, it's an interesting question, because I think think both and, you know? I was very fortunate and, and had a wonder, the wonderful experience of connecting with an artist by the name of Chris Eaton, who produced my first and my second record. And I'd been a background singer, you know, I did a little bit of studio stuff, but being an artist was a completely different thing. Um, we went for the high energy stuff because when I was involved with Amy, the music was very high energy. My background musically was more groove-oriented and dance-oriented and even soul, you know, old Motown stuff, that kind of thing. So the direction musically, it had a groove, but also had sort of this, like, intercontinental vibe, you know, because we did our recording in England. I used all British players for the most part. Lang came and did some stuff on on the record and the second one, too. Yeah, Yeah. it was both. Yeah. And so the combination of sort of taking, it wasn't like full-blown R&B soul. It turned into basically dance music, which was fine. I was totally happy to step in that role and be that type of artist because there was no way I was going to be just sort of a hymn singing, hey, I just want to sing in church really nice little cute songs. I wanted to do music that had some high energy and, and, and the edge of it was mostly in the fact it was a, groove-oriented dance music, which is kind of like, if you know anything about Christian circles, there's a lot of Christian circles that don't believe in dancing. (laughs) So, you know, that was the edge part of it, (laughs) of doing that kind of music. So, you know, once I got into the second album, you know, I kind of had a little bit more ideas about what I wanted to see happen with that, and you kind of morph and change and grow as an artist, but... um, I loved doing the dance music. I had a lot of fun doing gigs and shows. From the audience perspective, it was a lot of fun. The records were very influenced by a lot of the stuff that was going on over in Europe. You know, bands like Scritti Politti and some of those bands. But it was really unique sounding, even though it was pulling from all those influences. Perfection, which was off the second record, went to number two on the AC charts. But it had like stuff that we're still using in our songs. We just had a soprano sax on what's going on, and there was a big soprano sax solo in Perfection. Right. So in a lot of ways, there are very similar things about, even though it was a different sound and a different time. A lot more electronic. Yeah, it was a lot more electronic than our stuff is, but there was a lot of similarities in terms of kind of, um, oh, slight jazz influences in the music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've been speaking about your style, and of course, we've got to talk about what you're doing now, because I've seen so many descriptions of the Bliss Bliss sound. Groove, jazz, pop, R&B, rock, you're really a hard band to define. What would you say is the the key root to your music? That That is such a great question, and I'm going to sound like I might be dancing around the topic, but we had a really difficult time trying to figure it out. We we have been going through 
you know, learning marketing stuff. We actually went through a marketing course for about the past year and a half, two years. And that was the big challenge for us was like, well, where does this thing fit? And I did a bunch of research online. And one day I just happened to run across this term. And the whole deal with marketing is you can't be the one who makes up what your sound is, you know, otherwise it's like, you know, horror punkabilly rock group, you know. And, and there's like, probably a genre for that. But, but, <laughs> that name. but <laughs> unless anybody's really searching it up and knows right. it, it's, it's kind of pointless to call your music that if, unless you don't really care if anybody buys it. But I found this term that was like this perfect sort of amalgamation of all those terms, and it was sophistopop. And it originated back in the 80s with bands like Charday, Simply Red, Swing Out Sister, Prefab Sprout. Level 42. Level 42. There's a whole crop of bands. In fact, one of the biggest well-known artists is from Canada, uh, a guy named Rye. So there's numbers of bands out there that are sort of like, sort of rejuvenating that term, pulling from a lot of the same kinds of approaches that bands back in the 80s were using. Although our stuff is not as uh, not as not leaning as hard on the right. driven and, and drum machine driven. Ours is more live performance. The term is sophistopop, which is if you look it up in Wikipedia, and it just means a combination of soul, pop, and jazz. But built into that is R and B, and also some there's rock. some rock. So I wish I could say it's one definitive thing at least in trying to help people who've never heard of us, which is the vast majority of people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get those people to understand, we, we really more draw more parallels to bands. One little phrase we use is, if Annie Lennox and Steely Dan took a trip across Europe together, they'd make music a lot like Bliss Bliss. <laughs> well, I was hoping you were going to say that Wikipedia article actually had a photo of Bliss Bliss <laughs> beside the description. Well, you know what's crazy is, and it's probably just because of the uh, cache on my computer, I'm sure. But I have done searches for Sophistapop before, and our name has popped up now. Maybe it's, you know, gotten Could enough that. awareness out there that our name is coming up in some right. search terms for that. But see, it's interesting because we, we have the challenge somewhat of having to sort of educate people as to what that means. Because some people, if you say, well, it's kind of got an R&B jazz vibe going on they they totally can get that but we're not pure jazz people but we we have bits and pieces and elements of it in our in our music and in other times i think the the rock reference is probably due to the fact that we use lead guitars and which is kind of rare in popular music a lot of people that do pop music aren't necessarily using guitar sure, solos yeah. as heavily as maybe we do or have that be you know yeah. a, a solo instrument and then on another song we may have like a like a Fender Rhodes solo or, you know, one of those kind of like vintage keyboard sounds that, you know, back from the day. And and then there's the groove uh, sensibilities of, of the drums and the bass, which is maybe more in the soul, soul right. arena. I mean, so it's sort of all of those little bits and pieces put together. Let's take this conversation back to the debut from Bliss Bliss, 1995, almost 25 years ago. You had a catchy, thoughtful song called Fight for Peace from that debut, where it says, we're standing on a crazy world that's always going to keep us spinning around. So that was 95, but what about in 2019? Is your world spinning faster? 
you know, that was a statement probably personally, but maybe as much just bigger picture about society and where things were at the time. So in our personal world, mm-hmm. we had just had our first child. Yeah. And so Zane was months old, literally, when that single came out. Actually, wrong. It was right before he was born, mm-hmm. the single came out. And I was driving for UPS for the Christmas holiday season, trying to make a living. The record had just come out on REX. You know, so our world was spinning crazy, probably. But I think message-wise, it was talking about the whole world, everybody looking, fighting for peace. But now, I mean, our single currently right now is what's going on. And, you know, it's the cover of the Marvin Gaye song. Mm-hmm. In which case, the message, I mean, couldn't be ex- almost more, you know, tailor-made for what's going on in the world right now as well. And back then, I remember that was one of those songs. We co-wrote that with a friend, but I came up with the title, and then we sort of conceptually figured out what we were going to say. It was like one of those things you have to flesh out. Right. But at the end of the day... Fight for peace is sort of the thing that the Lord has made us live. <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's like, you said you believe this. All right, now you're going to live it out. But it's like there's a constant battle to find peace and rest for our souls in the midst of the chaos, whether it be personal or global. Society-wise society yeah. or, or and, and that has events. not changed. And the message of what's going on in terms of like what was happening in the 60s with just judgment and uh, and everybody sort of saying that they know who this person is and so they can figure them out and they'll understand you know where they stand on this topic or that topic or whatever. I mean that's that's what's going on right now you know and so I think the similarities are timeless in that regard yeah something I've seen in your music is an ongoing trend like on your song see the light it mentions superman then there's Bulletproof, and Unshakable speaks about getting a super cape. So, are you two living out your superhero fantasies in your music? <laughs> Boy, we would sure love to. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's interesting kind of what you, you were saying about the songs, about kind of the common theme in it. I think that both of us are, you know, as Lang mentioned with the Fight for Peace thing, it's, I think our songs... If they're not about us, they are in that it's a snapshot kind of picture of a process that we've either A, come through, or B, are going through, or C, are trying to figure out in the middle of it. Yeah. And so you mentioned the song Unshakable, sort of as, you know, you brought that song up last. Um, That song Unshakable, when we first started writing it, a friend came over, a great bass player friend, and started messing around with it and we finally kind of landed on the theme that people are not going to make it if they're not tethered to something that is solid and is bigger than and them. bigger than them in our case being that we are believers that person for us is Jesus that's who it is i mean you know I'm not going to try to dance around that or make it you know comfortable for people if they're not comfortable with that that's us that's where we are And so that song really was, that's what the song is about. It's about, I'm not going to be pulled in 150 directions or even 
shaken off of my position of staying in a place of of rest and peace by all the outside clutter and noise and stuff going out out there that you're like that rock to me. And so that's how we came up with the idea of like, you know, who's kind of like who in popular culture sort of is the picture of somebody like that. And obviously people are very familiar. If you read comic books, you are very familiar with Superman, you know, (laughs) uh, superheroes. That's popular cultures, bigger than life people. For us, you know, God is our bigger than life person. And so that's really what the song that is in about, reference to. It's interesting you brought up uh-huh. See the Light. And that's really about a guy. It's sort of taking each verse as a little mini story about some people that we know. It wasn't exactly what they went through. But in that case, Superman sort of represented this guy who thought he was, you know, immune to things going wrong and actually suffering loss. And and really, that is the character through both stories, even though it's about two different people. It's this concept that how does anybody get revelation that they need to change things? <laughs> and sometimes it has to happen physically, like in the first verse, it's in a car wreck, yeah. you know? And in the second verse, it's this guy losing his, you know, his marriage and everything that he had. Um, it's a heart-wrenching song. And there were some parallels in our own lives, I think, oh, yeah. during that time. Oh, yeah. some, it, we went through this weird time where it was kind of like everything that could go wrong, or at least it felt that way to us. you know. Right. Thank God for his mercy, because it was not nearly what other people have gone through. But for right. us, it was like, it was almost like it felt like everything that could go wrong did for about, oh gosh, two years. Yeah. I mean, we just had multiple things go wrong. In different ways, physical things, uh, career things, um, car wrecks, just stuff like that. And I think probably that maybe was, you know, our heart cry, even subliminally, not really, you know, how you live stuff and you're really dealing with what's right in front of your face. But sometimes your choice of art and your choice of relaxation and your choice of different things sort of belies that underneath need that you have. And I think maybe that's what was happening through a lot of that whole record is called Life So Far. Right. And it was really like a little bit of a storyline about our lives. And one of the first songs is Soon. And that's really about Renee growing up as a little girl, you know, and she Mm -hmm. to her mom in the morning goes, can I go do this? And she goes, "Eh, just hold on, you know, and that's how we are with the Lord. We feel like we're ready to go do things. And he's kind of like, yeah, just hang on, you know, when you're ready. Um, and so a lot of the songs on that record were kind of like this storyline of, of our lives. You two have a release called Three, mm-hmm. and includes this great song, No Apology. Part of the lyrics say, I make no apology, gonna raise my flag for all to see, I'm risking it all fearlessly. How do you get to be fearless? I think... <laughs> It's going to sound like an old codger statement right here. <laughs> uh, you know, you just bring your walker a little closer <laughs> to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> this is the get off my lawn, you kids statement right here. <laughs> uh, you know, after you get to a certain age, you kind of go, you know, I really have wasted a lot of life being afraid of what other people think and what other people say is right or wrong. And to some degree, that's a survivalistic mentality when you're younger. And 
sort of you're driven by what you see and what you think other people are going to like and you know and that helps you succeed but at some point in time you know there's a dividing line that everybody has to draw and realize that if I'm going to go on and be who I'm supposed to be in this world and affect any kind of change that's that's got any real lasting value to it it's going to come out of who I am not who I'm trying to be like and no apology mm -hmm. was that statement for us it was like we just had come to a place, both from a faith perspective and also from kind of our artistic talent perspectives, where we were less worried about whether people liked it as much and more just like, you know, this is just kind of who we are now. And, you know, the great thing about being a musician is we're still growing. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm still, I love practicing. I love mm -hmm. learning more. But at the same time, there's a sense in which, you know, who we are and what we're trying to do is pretty well defined we kind of know who that is and yeah we're choosing that hill to die on in essence that's what it comes down to it's like you know somebody said a great quote one time they said sometimes it takes more courage than faith to jump out there and just take that risk and i and i think that's absolutely true i think sometimes taking that risk you do it with your knees knocking, knocking. together yeah. i think we're just naturally we just always picture the worst case scenario <laughs> And yeah, you can step out and have big time failure. Definitely. That's part of life. But there's also the other side. Well, you know, I've got a 50-50 chance. I might as well jump in there because it actually might work. You know, that's the other side of it. So this song was really about, we're kind of singing it to ourselves and singing it to other people. It's like, yeah. start living, step out there, whatever dream you, you had in your heart that you laid off to the side or, or you let the flame of that thing die or whatever it, you know, pick that thing back up and, you know, get out there and go for it. If we had a pro and con list of why we should keep doing this or stop, we're going to keep going because this is who we are and we can't apologize if it's not the hippest, coolest music that's out there right now. Hopefully have a message that will resonate with a bunch of different people that are at different places in their life, you know. And so that was the goal, I think, in writing that song and pretty much the goal in what we're writing now. Yeah. Bliss Bliss has a new song for us to talk about. It's a cover of a Marvin Gaye classic. What motivated you to record What's Going On? We... <laughs> we <laughs> this is going to sound so anticlimactic. We... Uh, <laughs> We really were in the process of doing some live recordings in our studio, videotaping live recordings. And we did two songs. One was an original, and we wanted to do one cover, and we had always loved uh, what's going on. So we did it, and then we were going to release it as uh, just kind of content to keep uh, you know content going all the time on our website and on our social Right, because... Stuff. We're in the process right now of currently working on a project that's going to be coming out like in the first quarter next year. So this, it just sounds like it's like let the air out of the balloon. But really, we did what's going on kind of as filler. I mean, <laughs> that sounds terrible because it's such a fantastic song. But our goal was very, very different than what then is was, going on yeah, with it now. Sort of what know. come about. A friend of ours who has been involved with us acting as um, sort of a manager and connector and an investor. And and he has been a longtime friend of ours. I mean, we're talking since Renee was with Amy Grant. And um, 
he played our recording for a DJ friend, and the guy flipped out over it and said, man, I got to do this. Let me do a remix of it. And then it just sort of took on this other life. All of So now, uh, and we always thought, well, well, let's release this to, to radio first, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a whole remix version package is going to be released at the very beginning of next year. So it's kind of turned into this kind of um, campaign where first we release the original version, and then we're releasing these dance remixes, which will be going to Billboard in January. Mm-hmm. So you've got something for us to look forward to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, perfect. It's been good having Bliss Bliss here for a talk. Guys, thanks so much for taking time for us. Thank you, well, Dave. Thanks, thanks, thanks for so having much. us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah.